Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Simple Electronics Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, from the Simple Electronics YouTube channel. And with me today is absolutely nobody special because time flew by yet again. I can't believe it has been already two weeks since the last time I sat down in front of this microphone to record another episode. Time has been flying. Um, this episode is brought to you by PCB Wave. More on that later on. So we got that out of the way. Well, what have I been doing? Well, um, a couple things. My first and foremost, my mechanics job, uh, twice a year, um, he, my boss gets me on a weekend and we do a weekend for a massive client of his, uh, where we flip, you know, we put uh, summer tires onto, uh, onto the cars in spring and winter tires on in the fall. And that was this weekend. However, this massive fleet that um, my boss has a contract for, uh, they had uh, some maintenance to be done. And so instead of a Saturday and a Sunday, uh, I was needed for uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and that's on top of my regular shifts um, at work. And so that's where I was, uh, you know, for four days plus my regular shifts. Uh, plus the house is needs, there's some stuff I need to do for, uh, fall before the snow starts flying. And so I've been doing that. And, um, which means like my time has just evaporated. I was supposed to have more time when I finished my school contract, but now I have less. Um, I'm also most of the way done my transmission job. I didn't finish it cause I was really busy, but all the stuff underneath is done. I have very little work to be done. Um, just buttoning up a couple things up top and then adding fluid and then testing it. Um, I'm not in a hurry to do it because if it doesn't work, I think I'm just going to cry because, you know, two transmissions down. So, yeah, I'm not super in a hurry to do that. Um, the other thing is I called my colleague at the college because he's still working there. Uh, he still has, uh, well, he takes care of the shop. So he continued his contract when I finished mine, but he's not doing it as a teacher. He's just like a technician over there. And uh, he said, hey, uh, were you told about Wednesday? This was last week. And I said, no, what's going on on Wednesday? And apparently we have a visit from high school students. And so they actually sent me a contract to my work email, which I haven't been checking. And so, yeah, it turns out I'm working a single day for my college. Uh, so that'll be happening on Wednesday, which is tomorrow as I'm recording this. So if you're on Patreon, uh, the day that you're able to listen to this, a Patreon or a channel member, I should say, that's the day where I'm at the college working and then I have uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And therefore, I need to finish fixing my car and edit some videos. I think I have four videos in the editing queue, which is uh, which is crazy. That's a lot of videos to, to edit. So I need to sit down and kind of do that. So what am I going to do today? Well, because I haven't really done any work on the YouTube channel since the last time I chatted with you guys, I really don't want to go over the same stuff over and over and over uh, every week. When the videos finally do come out, uh, then I'll be able to chat with you guys, the reception, uh, how it went and all that stuff. 
But until then, what am I going to do? Well, I went onto ChatGPT and I went to the Bing AI chat. And I asked it a question. I fed it a bunch of information to understand, you know, who I am and what my channel is about. I think I did a fairly good job. I gave examples of channels that could be in the same vertical. I told them I have a podcast, whatever. And then I said, if I were to solicit questions from the audience, what kind of questions would I get? And so um, ChatGPT has given me 20 questions and Bing AI chat, which is GPT-4, basically. It's a, if you guys don't know, if you go to bing.com and, and click um, start chatting, you get access to ChatGPT-4 with a little bit more capabilities turned on. Like I think it can search the internet, but uh, you get it for free. So let's let's try a couple. I didn't look at the questions, so they could be low quality questions, but I, I really wanted to give my off the top of my head kind of thoughts as to like what the answer would be. So let's get started and let's see what we get done. So from Bing GPT, um, number one, what inspired you to start the Simple Electronics channel and podcast? Well, the Simple Electronics channel is, um, I mean, it's been so long now. I think I started back in 2016. So maybe the exact motivation is not going to come to mind quite as easily. But I think the general thing is that um, I wanted to learn electronics. I want to learn electronics because as a automotive service technician, as we're as we're called, we're mechanics, but you know, legally automotive service technicians, um, often you you follow a diagnostic trouble tree to diagnose uh, electrical and electronic components. And that diagnostic trouble tree, if you suspect an engine computer, so a PCM or a transmission computer, a TCM, or uh, you know anti, you know an ABS uh, module like an anti-lock brake module, typically the trouble tree will have you check everything. Uh, so, for example, if it's an ABS module giving you a code for a wheel speed sensor, they're going to tell you to check the wheel speed sensor. They're going to tell you to check the connections. They're going to check, tell you to check the wirings. They're going to tell you to check the pin drag, like how much force, uh, insertion force there is on the pins in the connectors for like every, you know, step of the way. And if you find no problems, they say replace the computer with a known good unit and retest. So to me, that wasn't good enough. Like, why do I have to have my customer pay for a $2,000 non-returnable computer just to, just to confirm, uh, just to check to see if the, the problem really is that? I started thinking that it just, it simply couldn't be that complicated. Like, they should just tell me what the module is looking for. Right. On the case of an ABS sensor, I mean, it's fairly simple. Um, you can pl you can plug it in an oscilloscope and turn the wheel and you can, you know, see the pattern. But the thing is, sometimes it's a relation code. So sometimes it's the timing of the pattern or the length of the uh, of the teeth or the missing teeth. So, so if you think of a square wave, right, 
you've got a wave going positive, a wave going uh, neutral. There's there's not much AC. It's typically DC. But if you think of a positive square wave and then, you know, with a 50% duty cycle, and then you're like, okay, so I'm getting a signal to the module, right? But is that module not happy with the shape of this? Okay, so it's square, right? But what if it needs to be a different duty cycle? What if the uh, current is not high enough? Um, what if it's just like like something inside the black box that you can just open it and you know replace that one component and close it or something like that? And I was always good at electrical diagnostics, but I was I wasn't quite understanding how the computerized portion worked, the software. Like, what does it do with that? You know, with that signal. And I worked for a Honda dealership, so I had access to Honda OEM data. But they would never give you like what the waveform was supposed to look like. They never told you what the module was looking for. They just said, test everything else. And if you can't find a problem in everything else, then replace the module. And then if that still does not work, then replace the other module. Like, so replace the ABS module. If that doesn't work, replace the, you know, body control module, which the, the ABS speaks to. And like, I never thought that that was a great solution. Like I, I if I'm going to tell my customer to order a $2,000 module, I want to be sure it needs the $2,000 module. And so I decided to learn electronics to get more of a basic idea of how the insides of the computers worked. And with that comes, you know, software or whatever. The YouTube channel was because I was inspired um, by people like Big Clive, like Julian Eilert, like um, AVE back then. I was inspired by channels like that. And I was like, wow. It's not just about learning. It's about having a learning journey, like sharing learning. And on top of that, I was always one of the uh, technicians in my shop that would embrace new apprentices. I would, uh, I would take them on uh, much to like, basically, you, when you're working uh, as a mechanic, often you're paid flat rate. So if a job, the book says, you know, it takes one hour to do, if it takes you two hours to do it, you still only paid one hour. That's it. So taking time out of my day to teach the new apprentices was a passion thing because it would cost me money. I would teach them stuff, but at the detriment of my productivity. And so I'd go with them. I'd show them the steps to diagnose. I'd say, do this, 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 and this, because you're looking for this, 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 and this. And then they'd go do it and then they'd come back and then we'd go over their results and what do you think and et cetera. So I loved the sharing idea and the fact that I could watch Julian Eilert and Big Clive and uh, the EV blog, the uh, EV blog was early as well, uh, AVE, you know, a couple of those channels I've been watching since my, my interest in electronics had started. Um, I was like, wow. If these guys can do it, 
You know, if I made a video a tenth as good as their videos, then I should do it, right? And and so so here we are. So that was the motivation for the channel. The podcast was entirely selfish. I I I mean, I happily admit it. The podcast is a great excuse to sit down and have a chat with people I admire. If you go back in the history of this podcast, um, find me one guest I had on that wasn't interesting. Go, a single one. I mean, aside from just me. They're all super interesting people, super intelligent people. I don't know what it is with uh, with makers, but they just have that, that that sense of their world around them, which is amazing. They all have like incredible talent. Like l- look at the list. Find me one person not talented. It's it's impossible. You can't do it. And um, I it's a I mean it's to share with you guys too. But mostly it's for me. I mean, who wouldn't be thrilled to to sit down with you know D- Dave Jones or uh, with Electro Boom? And like honestly, I've made friends. Uh, I don't know if they consider me friends, but uh, Pile of Stuff, Gadget Reboot, um, another maker, those are people that I chat with kind of all the time. You know, we we sort of. We have a, a, a email chain back and forth, you know, something like that. And so uh, really the podcast uh, to me was like basically an excuse to chat with people I wouldn't have access to. And on top of that is to try to share um, my perspective, why I think their stuff is awesome and tell them so, right? I mean, if you send an email saying that you're, you know, your channel is awesome. Yeah, that's going to be good. But to explain what I like about their videos and their creations and their thought process, that's that's special altogether. And then, yeah, put it, putting it out for you guys. On top of that, I mean, the podcast recently has been keeping me uh, sort of on point, making sure that at least once every two weeks, I have a sit down, have a chat about my channel. And, um, you know, do stuff like that, you know, talk with you guys. I do know that the non-guest episodes are like hit and miss. Uh, Some of them have way more views. Some of them have way fewer views. But I do know um, that there's a whole bunch of you that are just watching literally every single episode. I can tell you um, on the... So on the audio version only, there's over 200 of you um, that listen to, uh, actually, no, uh, over three, uh, near 350 of you that listen to every single episode, every single episode, 350 of you. Uh, and, you know, it's hour long episodes. So that, I mean, that's no small feat. Uh, and that's just on the audio. If I pick up the stats for the, uh, the, the, you know, the non-audio version, the, the the version on YouTube. I mean, it's all just audio, right? But the version on YouTube, uh, it's at least matching. It's like somewhere around the same thing. So there's a ton of you that, you know, come in every single two weeks, you know, bi- bi- bi-weekly. Is it bi-weekly, bi-monthly? Because every two weeks, but yeah. Anyways, every two weeks. So 
you know, uh, now it's become a thing where I get to sit down and reflect about my two weeks uh, and chat with you fine folks. So, yeah. So from where it started to to where it is, um, just by the way, since we're talking about the podcast, uh, I did send out a whole new wave of emails. I'm limited to how many emails I can send in a day because uh, when you go reveal people's uh, business emails, uh, it I think Google only lets you do six per day. So six plus people's personal websites. So I sent a bunch of emails and I'll tell you, I was really surprised because some people, which I thought I would get zero replies from, uh, replied to me. Now, everyone is super freaking busy, which I don't blame them, but I am getting replies, which is pretty cool. So I need to set up a date to, you know, get another guest on. But who knows? Maybe two weeks from now, I'll be, you know, in the crap again, and then it'll just be you and me. But we'll see. So that's the first one. So that was from uh, Bing GPT. Let's go to ChatGPT. What does ChatGPT have? Number one, can you share some tips for beginners who want to start with electronics and 3D printing? Yes, I certainly can. First and foremost, if you are overwhelmed in the hardware electronics side, I would say this day and age, just get a starter kit. The starter kit has a bunch of a variety of components but they don't have like a lot of the same components. So if you fry things, you know, before I used to be anti those starter kits because if you fry things, you don't have a lot to work with. But this is my, my suggestion now. So is to go and buy a starter kit. Elegoo has a fantastic one that comes with an Arduino, um, which uh, I could put a link in the description, but let's be honest, I'll probably forget. So check the description. Maybe it'll be there. Um, but... So Elegoo has, you know, has a good one. Uh, actually, a couple of companies have good ones. And then just get started. A lot of these starter kits, Elegoo included, have like documentation where you you can follow and make basic circuits already from the get-go with not much knowledge. Um, but the other thing you can do is you can, uh, you know, type type into Google like, electronics simple circuits for beginners for example i did a few videos on this back in the day and you'll find stuff like a multivibrator so multivibrator i think you need uh, two transistors four resistors um two uh, uh two, two capacitors and a couple leds and the leds will blink back and forth i mean this is just perfect so you need a starter kit I also think you should get a multimeter right off the bat. Uh, I know like a lot of people think that the oscilloscope is necessary, but when you're learning very, very basic electronics, you need a multimeter. I still have those fluke multimeters I need to do a video about. Um, I did take the the end, of, so I'm working tomorrow, but I did take the end of the week off, so hopefully I'll get that done. Um so you need a multimeter, but yeah, just get something basic and get started. In fact, if you can borrow stuff, if you can borrow a multimeter, go ahead. But, you know, starter kits, multimeters, all in, you could probably spend 50 bucks on Amazon and you'll be on your way with more components than you need to actually get started. It's just to get things for very cheap you'd have to go shopping on aliexpress or something and then wait so i don't know 
Should I make a video? Tell me if this is interesting to you. Should I make a video with a budget of 100 US dollars and try to build like a beginner electronics setup for that much money? I mean, is that interesting? I, I might, I might try that. So yeah, that's the, that, that's what I, that, that's the tip I have for beginners that want to start with electronics. But how about 3D printing? Well, the cool thing about 3D printing is that it is becoming ubiquitous. So it's not quite ubiquitous yet. You can't just go on any street corner and find a 3D printer. But a lot of towns and schools, high schools, universities, libraries even, are starting to have machines available. And so before you take the plunge and buy a machine, I would say go on Thingiverse, find something cool, download the file, and see if you can print it inexpensively or for free around you. I know here in Ottawa, the library has a makerspace. Uh, mind you, it's a library that's kind of a distance away uh, from most of the city. It's all the way in the west end of the city. Um, but you only pay for the filament cost. You don't pay for the time. You don't pay for the tech. Nothing. Just the filament cost. I also know that a bunch of universities here have uh, 3D printers. I don't know if they're accessible to the public, but certainly to the uh, student base. Um, and I mean, you can even try uh, reaching out to, you know, high schools and stuff like that. Um, a lot of high school teachers are just total nerds, like the ones who handle the 3D printers and stuff like that. They often you just need to run filament through the machine from time to time uh, to make sure that the filament doesn't get uh, stale or whatever. It gets utilized or maybe they have diagnostics to do on the machine. Sometimes they'll just freaking print it for you. Um, so it really depends. Ask around. Um, I mean, I know if I had a friend or, you know, family member that wanted, you know, a, a, just a quick foray into 3D printing, I would bring them down to the lab here and... Uh, and show them. We'd print something, and I'd show them how it works, all the steps, and all that. I think someone should probably do a beginner. There's probably a, a few beginners uh, uh, tutorials for 3D printers, but yeah, that's a good idea. So that was uh, ChatGPT. Let's jump back into Bing Chat for number two. Can you share some of your favorite projects that you've worked on? That's a tough one. I I don't have a lot of like finished, polished projects. And so I think the one I'm the most happy with is one that's not out yet. And that's the giant 3D printed LED. So I've been meaning to make a video about this for a very long time. But I've always been afraid to have, you know, a crappy take on the video. But I think I'll just release the video and see what happens. But yeah, it's a, basically it's a it's a big... 3D printed LED with a custom PCB on the inside with uh, NeoPixels uh, running an ESP32 running WLED. And so it, the thing is pretty freaking awesome. Uh, I do want to re-revise it at some point to double the amount of LEDs because I like, you know, something quite bright. But um, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite projects. 
Um, maybe second favorite would be the Snowspeeder. Love that project. Love that video. Um, it doesn't get that many views, but it's like it's pretty niche. So it is what it is. Thank you, Bing GPT. Chat GPT for number two. What inspired you to create your YouTube channel and podcast dedicated to electronics and 3D printing? Yeah, we've answered that. Next one. Uh, could you recommend some essential tools for an electronic enthusiast workshop? Yes, uh, 100%. Don't be hard-headed like me. Get yourself a temperature-controlled soldering iron right from the bat. They are not that expensive these days. They're um, You can get, uh, I think I just got that... Um, Kaiweets one. Was it Kaiweets? Oh my god. It's uh, over on the other side there. Um, but basically there's like an 858D clone or 858D altogether. Uh, let's see. 858D. Just checking the price here. Uh, oh, nope. 858D is a air soldering iron. Soldering iron temp control. Uh... Oh, now I can't find it. Hmm. But but anyways, um, a temperature-controlled soldering iron, which I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head. Big Clive has a video on it, actually. Um, let me see. Big Clive soldering iron. He has a massive video. has millions of views. Yeah, soldering basics and choosing a cheap soldering iron. Um, so the 936 soldering station, I think it is. Let's see. 9936 nine, soldering. Hmm. I don't know if it's available anymore. But anyways, just just search your favorite marketplace. Uh, probably not AliExpress. Probably more like Amazon or something like that. Uh, for a temperature-controlled soldering iron. They are under $50 Canadian. Uh, I'm seeing a Yuha 939. Is it 939? Anyways, temperature-controlled irons, they are like 50 bucks or under. Um, the thing is, if you don't buy a temperature-controlled soldering iron, you'll likely end up with you know, one of those just the, this, the irons with no temperature control and they'll cost you 10 to $15. And yeah, 10 to $15 is cheaper than a $50 iron, but I would say spend a little bit of extra money and get the $50 iron or even a $40 iron with temperature control. And then your $10 iron won't be just like thrown in the trash because that's kind of what happens with them. Um, so definitely get a temperature controlled soldering iron. Um, as far as oscilloscopes, I know a lot of electronics enthusiasts are really hyped about their first oscilloscope. And I'm here to tell you when you're learning the very basics, you don't need an oscilloscope. Buy the oscilloscope once you know you like electronics. When you know you like electronics and you want to see what's happening in your circuit, then you buy an oscilloscope. Hantech Han makes an excellent uh, $100 USB one. I mean, it's not fantastic. It's not super fast. Um, but it does work. 
and it is fairly cheap. So if I go hand tech oscilloscope, that's going to cost, yeah. So Canadian pesos, it's 90 bucks. Um, but even so, may, maybe even, uh, you know, a benchtop oscilloscope for a couple hundred bucks might be up your alley. It's hard to say, right? It, it does go up in price quite a lot. So, I mean, I don't know your financial situation, but um, definitely multimeter and temperature control soldering iron, those two are a must. So I recommend those first. Um, and then after that, it kind of depends on your needs. Before moving on, though, I'd like to talk to you about today's sponsor, PCBWay. So PCBWay has been a long-term sponsor of this YouTube channel. They believe in what I and many other creators on YouTube do. And so if you are one of those beginners getting started in electronics and you manage to use tools like KiCad or anything like that to design your own PCB, no matter how simple it is, you can easily have that circuit immortalized in a professionally made PCB. You just go onto the link in the description and you upload your Gerber files, which is an output from your PCB making software, and it will spit out uh, a price. Typically, if it's under uh, 10 millimeters, or sorry, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, it'll be $5 for um, five boards. However, in my experience, usually you can get at least 10 boards without raising the cost and even more so if you have smaller boards. So go check them out. The boards are really professionally made and using the link in the description does help this YouTube channel. I don't get a direct commission from it, but I do get continued support from PCBWay. Um, and on top of that, it's a great way to get started in 3D printing if you just want to put your feet in the water. Uh, PCBWay does 3D printing. In fact, they do CNC milling. They do all sorts of stuff. Check them out at the link in the description. All right. Well, I did go upstairs to get a coffee uh, in between the last question and this one. And my wife interrupted me and uh, she said, hey, I've got a good question for you. Uh, which video did you most like making? And I think to me that video is the how to use a multimeter video. That is really the nuts and bolts of the sort of the vision I had from for the channel from the get-go is literally taking some knowledge that I am sort of uh, adept at and putting it in an easily digestible format, very quick, uh, very easy, um, super simple. So using the multimeter um, video is is the one of the videos I'm the most proud of, the most happy I made. And I'll let you know the analytics for that. Um, it's now at 18,000 views. So, uh, I mean, I'm much happier with where it's sitting now because um, just about, you know, 100 days ago or so, it was at 3,000 views and it kind of skyrocketed up. So that video I'm very proud of. I'm really glad people are taking a look at it. And um, yeah, if you're listening to this, probably uh, take a look at it too because I'm very proud of the message that that video sends. So, yeah, that was a, a question snuck in by my wife, but I mean, come on, she gets she gets the privilege, right? All right, so I think we're up to Bing chat. Um, three, how do you 
decide which products to review on your channel? Well, that's a good question. Um, at the moment, the channel is not financially positive. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit positive if you don't count any labor at all, um, but it's not really positive. So the way I choose which products I'll review is uh, twofold. Uh, one, it's whatever is offered to me that seems interesting. So I my, my channel, I try to cater to pretty much everybody. If someone has a product to um, show off, but I'm not super interested in it, I will tell them. I'll be like, look, this product I don't think warrants a full video, but I can still show it off on like a, uh, on like a mailbag video as a bonus item. And some for some uh, manufacturers, that's good for them. Um, and then I have another option, which is, you know, if I'm interested, I'll accept it and I'll make a first look. I don't really do reviews because I, I feel like for a review, you have to kind of use the product a lot. So mostly I do first looks. Um, and then the, the other hand is stuff that I already want slash need. I will buy it and use it and make a first look video. So those are kind of the three criterias, right? If a company wants to send it to me, um, but it's not super interesting, I'll still accept it. If it's if it's junk, I refuse it. I mean, I get bombarded with emails of like companies wanting to send me like jewelry to show off uh, to to all my fans is is what they say, um, and I just tell them, look, it's it's not a good fit. I mean, it's really not great, right? Um, but if it's electronics related and I think it, I'm interested in it a bit, but not enough for a full video, I'll let them know if I want to make a full video, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can send her over. Uh, and recently I had my very first, maybe second, no, my very first sponsored showcase. So I took a look at a device from uh, zero plus, um, but they're called Brook Living in that de department, but it's the one that checks um, the outlets to see how healthy they are. So I did disclose that that was a sponsored video, um, but however, I didn't say anything that uh, I didn't, you know, sort of back up. Like it's still it's still my opinion. Uh, it's still my opinion that if you are a handyman, you know, uh, or a, sort of like a landlord that you just want to do a sanity check on all of your outlets, this thing makes a lot more sense uh, than calling an electrician. If it shows a problem, then you call an electrician type thing. Um, but it's 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 much better than the little tools that you plug in to just tell you if your, out, your, your outlet is wired correctly. Because presumably, your, your outlet didn't change its wiring from last time you checked it. But it can with tenants plugging in and out stuff all the time. It can just wear out or corrode or whatever. And that um, Brooklyn wire care thing does check for, you know, contact resistance and inductance or whatever it does. Um, so that video, uh, they paid me a very small amount of money, but still they paid me uh, to show off their product. And basically they knew the deal was that if I didn't like the, the product, uh, 
I would say so. And they couldn't erase my opinion for the video. If, you know, we couldn't come to an agreement, the video would just not appear. But I mean, I think it does what it says it does. Um, the cost is about right because the only alternative I found was something 10 times the cost. And so, yeah, I made that video. Um, the only thing is since they're sponsoring the video, they're essentially my, my client. Um, they decided parts that should be left in or taken out. So I had tear, torn down my unit to take a look inside and they didn't say that they didn't want me to tear it down, but they did say that they wanted to do a separate video of the teardown with sort of like their explanation for which components do what and why, which I mean is fair enough. I took a look. Uh, I just, uh, I looked at what was in there. I kind of um, made assumptions based on what I was seeing. And I don't think I was wrong. But I think if they want to add additional context to what I'm seeing there, I think that's fair enough. It, it doesn't really bother me. So yeah, so they're probably going to make another video for that. So yeah, that's how I decide. All right, what was that? That was Bing GPT. Let's go to Chat GPT. Um, how do you come up with ideas for your 3D printing projects and designs? Well, it's all born out of necessity uh, or boredom. One of the two. So the snow speeder was something I dreamed of of a, uh, like a long time ago to make a RC vehicle. And honestly, without the spinning bits, you know, like wheels, um, the the skis are a lot easier. So that's that's where why I went with that. Um, and then like basically, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So all my 3D printing projects, when I'm uh, daydreaming, which I do a lot about stuff that I want to do, um, my daydreams will typically involve a uh, 3D printed element because I have 3D printers here. That's simple. All right. Bing chat. Could you share some tips uh, for beginners who are interested in learning about electronics? Oh, I think I already did that. All right. Next one. What are some common mistakes people make when starting with Arduino and ESP32s and how can they avoid them? Ooh, I don't actually know how to answer this. I do know that when I was very fresh learning Arduino for the very first time, I tried to make an LED blink. So what I did was I went, you know, um, let's say pin 13 high semicolon, and then pin 13, low, semicolon, and then let it loop. And then I plugged in my Arduino, uploaded the code, and the LED stayed on solid. So I was like, what is going on here? And then I checked the voltage on it, and it was like two point something volts. I was like, that's weird. Something's not working. And then I realized, after a while, that this chip is like what eight, uh, eight megahertz. I don't, I don't remember how fast. Anyways, the LED was going on and off faster than I could perceive it. So it was turning on and off just way the heck faster than I could see it. And so that's one thing is that microcontrollers are 
stupid fast. Even base model, you know, pick microcontrollers, they are ridiculously fast. So when you're talking about the signaling on an Arduino, it's not how many times per minute something happens. It's really, you can make it, you know, several times, you, you can make it multiple hundreds of times per millisecond. So you just have to keep that in mind that the speed is way faster than you presume. The other thing is if you're using a single power supply to uh, power the, the Arduino or your microcontroller and your peripherals, so whether that be motors, relays, whatever, uh, add capacitors near the microcontroller. Uh, your microcontroller is very sensitive to voltage. And if turning on your motor draws down your power supply, even for a split second, it could reboot your micro. So um, definitely put capacitors near your microcontroller. And also keep in mind your microcontroller is much faster than you think. Next question. What is the most challenging project you've worked on? How did you overcome the challenges? I don't do much like coding is my most challenging thing I do. And so I don't really have a good example. It's either that I don't do very challenging things or absolutely everything I do is challenging because it's it's to me, right? So I think a lot of iterations are often needed to get things to work. So my lithium iron phosphate batteries project is still not done because I have to iterate over and over and over because stuff isn't fitting. I didn't plan ahead enough. So that's kind of a pain in the butt. But yeah, I think that's it. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have any specific challenging project. So let's go to the next one on ChatGPT. Can you describe your favorite 3D printer and why you prefer it for your projects? Uh, no, I hate all my 3D printers. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the honest truth. I did not go the route that most people go. I did not buy an Ender 3. I didn't buy Form Labs. I didn't buy, you know, I didn't buy anything fancy. So right now, to sitting to my left, actually, as I record this, I have three 3D printers. I have a Tronxy X3A, which has been the workhorse. Almost all the projects you have seen on this channel come from that 3D printer. I've even done a video upgrading that 3D printer, making it more stiff, getting a better hot end on it, all that stuff. That is my workhorse. Um, I don't like it because it's quite noisy. It's not as rigid as I'd want it, even with the reinforcements I added to it. Uh, also, it's a bed slinger, so uh, narrow and tall models will wobble on it. Um, it doesn't have silent steppers, has no Wi-Fi, has nothing cool like that. But the thing is, it just works. I just turn it on, it works. For now, that's great. Sometimes it'll forget that it has an auto-leveling uh, feature, and it'll drive the print head right into the bed and score it up. Uh, eventually, that'll get fixed. But for now, 
it works. So that's all I really have to say about that. The second 3D printer I have is a piece of garbage. It's a Tronxy X5SA. So it is a big, it's a three, I think it's 330 by 330 by something height uh, 3D printer, but it's a Core XY. But it has a couple of issues. First of all, the person who assembled it, I bought it used for very cheap. The person who assembled it um, doesn't know what the word square means. So it prints diagonally. It has a non-standard control board with a non-standard breakout board. It has auto bed leveling, but the the a crappy type like um, like my uh, X3A, where it needs to sense metal, and so you can't put like a glass top because it doesn't sense far enough. So the previous owner has disabled it, which means that it's kind of jank. Um, but all this is getting fixed. I do I did buy some upgrades for it, and so the plan was to make space on my workbenches and fix it. But the thing is gigantic. But once it's fixed, once I get the software fixed, uh, I can, you know, true up the corners and all sorts of things. It should be a fairly decent printer. It's a good starting point. And for the price I paid, it's like a hundred and something dollars. Uh, I think it'll be worth it. Just, just the aluminum extrusions are worth more than what I, I paid for it. So, but that one sits, it does nothing basically. I, it, it can print. It's not great. It's very finicky. It doesn't always stick to the bed. There's all sorts of things. Um, the last one is a Shinwini Panther. Tarantula? Panther? I don't know. It's probably a company you've never heard of. It's a company they sent me, the 3D printer. But it's been a nightmare since I got it. And for whatever reason, now it just works. I don't want to change anything. It just works. So the thing is, it would blob like crazy. It would give me inconsistent prints. It would give me layer shifts uh, one way or another. Nothing was consistent on it. And uh, I fixed the blobbing issue where, where the nozzle would just leave a blob because it was just like pause after it was done a layer and just drip filament and then keep going. And I found out it was the uh, auto power cycling recovery. So if it loses power, it can keep printing, saving its progress every time. But it was leaving a blob. I turned that off and it started printing flawlessly. So back and forth with, with the manufacturer, they couldn't do anything for me. Um, but I think it was a random video from like Chris's basement or Chris Riley's basement, some, something like that. I don't remember. Um he was talking about that and I turned it off and it worked. But then one day you get this, if you know, 3d printers, you'll know how crazy this is. One day I set a print to go and it did its auto bed leveling and then it started printing, but I kept hearing like grinding and I look over and the nozzle is like embedded in the magnetic build surface all the way down into the aluminum, so through the magnetic uh, build surface, through the magnetic sheet that holds the build surface, and it was digging into the aluminum of the heated bed underneath. And this is a machine with a um, BL touch, so it has a touch probe for Z, which it was using to level itself, okay? Fine. 
So I peel it off. I clean up all the plastic. I tell it to home Z-axis. And the now the, the auto bed leveling probe doesn't touch the bed anymore. The nozzle drives into the bed. So I'm like, okay. So the, something caused the bed leveling probe to go upwards or the nozzle downwards. So I disassemble the hot end, check everything. Everything is exactly in its spot. There's not even any vertical adjustment on any of those components anywhere. And so for some reason, now it's like not working. So I had to space the, the you know, the auto leveling sensor downwards and then put everything back together, reset the Z height, and it's been working flawlessly ever since. I don't know what the heck happened, but yeah, it's possessed and now it works. So I'm going to accept that and I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, the company that sent it to me, Shin, Shinwini, uh, S. Uh, S-I-E-N-W-I-N-Y, I think is what it is. Um, I've reached out. They they stopped answering, so I guess the machine is just here to stay. Um, if I were to keep this machine long-term, I'd want to upgrade the electronics. I'd want to put, um, you know, something less proprietary in. The heated bed wires are very, very small, so I'd like to put thicker wiring in there. But otherwise, it's a decent machine. It's just the software is not great. So yeah, but it's a big bed slinger too. I like a core XY. What I'd really like is a Voron, but I mean, that's a thousand bucks. That's a lot of uh, actually more, probably about $1,300 Canadian. That's a lot of money. Um, a, a little bit too much. And honestly, I haven't been making enough videos to justify a purchase like that. So there you are. All right. Uh, next uh, 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 Bing chat. Uh, can you share your process for designing and manufacturing circuit boards? Actually, uh, I definitely can. I'm a giant proponent of KiCad and open source software. And so, uh, KiCad, basically I prototype the circuit on breadboard. Um, and then sometimes I will solder up a version of it, um, just to make sure that it's, that, that, that nothing changed in the meantime. And then I open up KiCad, uh, redo the circuit in KiCad, and then um, assign footprints, uh, make it into a PCB. I typically try to design my PCBs under uh, PCBWay's uh, $5 price thing. So I try to go under uh, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. I also try to round the corners because it just... It, it feels like it's just a little bit higher quality. Try to add some mounting holes. Try to add some labeling as if, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who's going to use them. And then, you know, hit send and a couple, like a week. And so later I get my PCBs, which is pretty neat. That's the beauty of these uh, Chinese manufacturers like PCBWay. It, it's so easy. You just upload your Gerbers and then away you go. All right, next one. What's your go-to microcontroller or development board for coding uh, coding projects? Well, two things. The ESP32 Dev Kit C uh, is what I use uh, if I want Wi-Fi connectivity ever. 
down the road if I plan on ever having Wi-Fi connectivity. I'll put the footprint for that. And uh, Arduino Uno is the other one. Uh, it's just those two are the most ubiquitous. I just standardized a long time ago, so those two are the ones I would use. If you're playing along at home and you kind of don't want to support sort of like the AliExpress type sellers, or if you want just something that's a little bit higher quality, go buy a brand name Arduino from arduino.cc. Or um, maybe you look into one of Sion's microcontrollers, like um, the, the the Tiny Pico. Tiny Pico, I think that's what it is. Um, made in Australia. Super fancy. Uh, how do you decide which electronics products or tools to review on your channel? Oh, I said that already. Uh, what's your process for designing? Oh, no, again. Have I ever encountered any spectacular failures or mishaps in your electronics projects? Any memorable stories to share? Not spectacular failures, but I will tell you, I was testing a, a rig because I, I made uh, PCB fuse holders from PCB Way, And I wanted to see if I ran a lot of current through them, if they would heat up at all. Like how much current could traces take? You know, that kind of thing. And so I set up a 12-volt battery, these lead-acid batteries I have. So it's capable of delivering like a 1,000 amps of current, right? Lots of current. And I set it up with fuse leads um, to the fuse box, and then I had a load on the output of the fuse box. And then I used some spade terminals or some fork terminals to put two leads, one on the positive, one on the negative, with banana plugs at the end, male banana plugs, to plug into a multimeter. Well, those two banana plugs touched each other, and there was a massive bang, crack, and the current was so high for just an instant uh, that it actually blew the, uh, the, like the metal connections going from the screw terminals to the PCB, like it just exploded that connection. So that was quite interesting. All right. Um, how has 3D printing changed the way you approach products, uh, your projects? Well, that's pretty easy. Um, basically, everything that I do has a component of 3D printing now, simply because I'm not a great woodworker. Uh, I work really well in CAD. Um, I'm also a very iterative designer. So yeah, the access to 3D printing where I can send something to the printer an hour or two or three later, I get something off the print bed is just, it's been amazing. So speaking of amazing, I do definitely have to edit this podcast. So I think I'll call it there. If you guys have questions on any podcast you listen to, uh, leave the questions in the comments and I'll see if I can gather them and maybe I'll do a little Q&A section at the end of any uh, episode that I don't have guests on. I'm hoping to have a guest for the next episode, but I've been hoping for the last couple times. And honestly, I just haven't had the time to put the work in. So thanks so much for listening. I will catch you guys in the next one. Here's hoping. And uh, make sure you check the link in the description for today's sponsor. Thanks for watching.